on the superabounding grace of God. And we started in Romans chapter 5 where that terminology is found. When Paul, our redeemed lawyer for the things of God, began to present a contrast to the people in Rome. And he began to compare and contrast the first Adam to the last Adam. And how the first Adam fell into sin. And because of that, all of us are fallen. We're born fallen. But with the help of the Lord, we can get up. Because God sent his son, Jesus Christ, to be the last Adam, according to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And where the first Adam fell, the last Adam stood. And because of that, grace through Jesus superabounded over sin that is inherent within all of us and sin that is magnified because of the law. Grace through Jesus, saving grace, superabounded. And so Paul ends Romans 5 by saying, this grace ought to reign in our lives. And we ended last week talking about specific ways that we know that grace is reigning in our lives, that we're living for this one new man and not the old man. We're, we're not in the flesh. We're not in the world. We're in Christ. We're in the spirit. We're grateful and we live with hearts of gratefulness for this one man, Christ, who's changed our lives. And, and we live lives of forgiveness because God has been gracious to forgive us. So we forgive others as we have been forgiven. And we also walk in wisdom when grace is reigning in our lives because we know we don't know everything. And there's still so much more for us to learn about God, about ourselves. And so we walk in wisdom. And when you walk in wisdom, you're kept safe. And one way to walk in wisdom is to learn from the mistakes that you make and the mistakes that other folks make. And the Bible says that the things that we're going to be covering for the next couple of months, the mistakes of men and women in the Bible, those things were written for our benefit so we can learn from them. And today we're coming out the gate with Adam and Eve because they both made a lot of mistakes. And there's a lot that we can learn from their mistakes. But I got to throw a curveball at you this morning. And that is, this message will not focus upon the mistakes of Adam and Eve primarily. That we're not going to do it that way. We're going to read, and we're going to see the mistakes that they've made. We're not going to focus on that, because the truth is, we know what mistakes they made. They know what mistakes they made. Everybody knows the mistakes that Adam and Eve made. But we're going to focus on grace that is greater than all their sin. I want you to see grace in Genesis 3 in a way in which you may have never seen grace in this passage before. I've been preaching for a long time, uh, probably 30 years, and I preached Genesis 3 many times, and I see the mistakes of Adam and Eve because I see their mistakes in my life. But recently, I began to see something else in the text because the word is inexhaustible. It's alive. The things you saw yesterday, yeah, you see that today, but you see more today than you saw yesterday because the book is living and active. 
And I see grace all in the text. You're going to see Satan talking. You're going to see Adam talking. He's not going to say much, but he's going to talk. You're going to hear Eve talking a lot. Excuse me, didn't mean to throw it out there like that. But there's a lot of talking. But the one who talks the most in this passage, which has been called the fall of man, God talks the most. And he's going to present himself as the gracious God that he is. So we won't spend a lot, lot of time this morning talking about how Adam and Eve messed up. Uh, in fact, people who mess up, and that's all of us in here, people who mess up and know that they messed up don't need to constantly hear that they've messed up. <laughs> Let me say it one more time. Uh, people who messed up, and they know that they messed up, don't need to keep hearing that they messed up. Now, the key to that sentence is knowing that you messed up. Because some folk need to keep saying it because it hasn't registered with you yet that you know you messed up. But when you know you've messed up, you don't need to keep hearing that you messed up. This is a perfect time for you to hear that you are loved by God. I grew up hearing a whole lot about what I did wrong from the pulpit, from the Bible, from the man of God preaching the best he could. I knew I messed up. I didn't hear a whole lot about how God came to fix things up and to bless me in spite of my mess. And so when you've messed up, you need to hear that God still loves you because nothing can separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Nothing. Nothing. So we need the message of grace today because some of us need to know that we can be forgiven if we're lost and we don't know the Lord. If we do know the Lord, we need to know also that God forgives us when we confess our sins to him and he cleanses us from all unrighteousness. Have you ever confessed a sin to God and asked him to forgive you? And then five minutes later, you come back and confess the same sin to him, asking him to forgive you. It's as if God says from heaven, after you prayed the first time and you come the second time, God says, what are you talking about? I've already forgiven you. So maybe you need grace to apply to yourself and forgive yourself. Because when you've messed up, you need to hear that you're thought of by God. That you're precious in the sight of God that you are blessed by God. We are not defined by our misdeeds. We are not defined by our mistakes. The designation of sinner doesn't have to be the totality of our identity. Let me say it one more time. The designation of sin sinner doesn't have to be the totality of our identity. We're much more than that. And that's what grace is. It superabounds over sin. We need to hear about God's grace because God's grace, thank God, is for sinners. Sinners need to hear about grace, whether you're a lost sinner or a saved sinner. Saved sinners are saints who still sin. <laughs> because I know there are some people who will say that Christians aren't sinners anymore. Well, yes, I know that I'm a saint. 
But James is talking to Christians, and he says to Christians, uh, uh, cleanse your hands, you sinners. Because every now and then, I act like who I'm not, rather than acting like who I am. I am a saint, but I still sin. And if I keep on living like that, somebody's going to say, that's a sinner right there, rather than saying, that's a saint who's tripping. Oh, I wish Donnie McClurkin was here. I'd hear him in the corner saying, we fall down, but we get up. For a saint is just a sinner who falls down and gets back up. A just man will fall seven times and rise back up again. A just man, one who's been justified. So justified folks, saints, we still sin. And if anyone thinks they don't sin, they deceive themselves and the truth is not in them. You're not all that. I don't care how many collars you put on, how many degrees are behind your name, how holy and big your Bible is. Saved by grace. Kept by grace. Grace is unearned, unmerited favor. You can't earn it. You can't merit it. You can't work for it. Favor is the kindness and goodness of God that he freely dispenses to his creation. Now, there is common grace that he gives to everybody, and that's when he allows the sun and the rain to, to bless and benefit you. Common grace. But then there is salvific or even specific grace that he gives to his children. You see, he blesses all mankind with common grace, but his children experience specific or salvific grace. And favor and grace, this is the kindness and goodness of God. With grace, listen to this, we get everything for nothing. Grace is when you get everything good for nothing because you can't pay for oxygen. How many of y'all went downtown and put $10 on oxygen this morning? We get it and don't even think about it. Our eyes blink. I don't know how many thousands of times a day we don't think about it. But let something happen to your eye, like with my eye a couple weeks ago. It was closed up and did not blink. I was like, oh, Lord, I missed my eye blinking. Grace. People talking about, why your wife hit you in your eye like that? <laughs> Grace, we get everything for nothing especially salvation, which is why we must be saved by grace through faith. you got to believe in what God did for you. You don't add anything to belief, no matter how noble the work may be. Baptism is noble, but don't you dare add that to saving faith. Speaking in tongues for many people in the house of God, the faith of God, it's a beautiful thing, but don't you dare add that as a prerequisite for being right with God. The only thing that makes one right with God is faith in Jesus Christ. And if we back up, and if I was to go over to Ephesians this morning, we would even see that faith is a gift from God, that he pours out on us that we can put it back in to God. So you don't even wake up saying, I'm going to believe today because we were born dead in trespasses and in sin. So God had to stir us, give us faith so that we could put faith back in his son. He told the disciples, you didn't choose me, but I chose you. 
Because if I chose him, I might get to heaven and try to brag a little bit, saying I was smart enough and figured it out. No, all we like sheep have gone astray. Each one of us has gone to his own way, but the Lord has laid on Jesus all of our iniquity. You didn't choose him. He chose you from before the foundation of the world to be in him. So who gets all the props, the credit, and the glory in heaven? Jesus. He's worthy. He did the work on Calvary. Oh, I'm just trying to talk about grace because grace empowers. Grace covers. Grace forgives. Grace provides. Grace protects. With grace, we get what we need even when we don't ask for it. We get everything for nothing. Grace. He covers you. He keeps you. He provides for you. He's the God, as we'll see this morning, of all grace. We have Sunday school at Strong Tower. Our kids just ran up out of here because they got to learn the word while they're young. And we still remember many of those songs and things we sang when we were coming up. And one of the things I remember, number one, there's an acrostic about the Bible. The Bible, B-I-B-L-E. Basic instructions before leaving earth. And then there was grace, G-R-A-C-E, God's riches at Christ's expense. Oh, don't you put down children's church because they can learn a whole lot back there that they'll still remember when they're a 50-year-old man. I'm here to let you know that grace is God's riches at Christ's expense. But religion wants us to hear about condemnation. Religion and grace don't go together. Religion wants us to hear about judgment and guilt and shame. Religion wants us to depend on our own works to be made right with God or to stay right with God. The church in Galatia had that problem. They started in grace and then picked up circumcision. And Paul was like, y'all started in the spirit. You've fallen from grace into the law. Who bewitched you? Strong language. We start in grace. We stay in grace. We grow in grace. You don't start in grace and then pick up self Righteous works and performance? I don't work to get saved. I work because I am saved. And I do not depend on those works because watch this. Because even my best works are still filthy to God. Paul said, I find a principle that when I would do good, evil is present with me. I'm preaching and I'm still sinning. I'm not perfect up here while I'm preaching. I'm preaching a perfect word about a perfect Savior, but the preacher is flawed and jacked up, toe up from the flow up. Only right, only reason I can stand here is because I'm clothed in the righteousness of Jesus. But Solomon, who knew about sin, said in Ecclesiastes 7.20, there's not a man on the face of the earth who does good and does not sin. I'm trying to do good, but I'm still sinning. Matter of fact, the more I talk, Solomon said, uh, 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 the more words you say, sin is not absent. Have mercy. So don't get it twisted. On your best day, <laughs> you need grace, just like you need grace on your worst day. No day is so good that you're beyond the need of God's grace. And no day is so bad that you are beyond the reach of God's grace. Grace is everything for nothing. I need grace. But religion will say, man, put on fig leaves to cover your sin. <laughs> but grace comes to the rescue and does more for us than we can ever comprehend. The only thing you and I can do with grace 
is receive it and enjoy it and thank God for it. Receive grace. Thank God for the grace. Enjoy his grace. Genesis chapter 3, let's jump in. I'm going to run through these verses. There's a lot of meat on the bone, but I'm not going to cut the meat off this bone in these first seven verses because I got some way I got to go. Chapter 3, verse 1, now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, has God indeed said, you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. Now, let me say this. Uh, it's taken me a whole lot of uh, self-control right now to not begin to exegete these few verses here and to explain them to you. But once again, there are mistakes we're going to see. And there are a lot of great biblical principles to look at in terms of uh, the strategies of Satan, uh, uh, the deception that he uh, brought upon Eve and Adam and why he came to her as opposed to coming to Adam and how she added things to what God said. And th there's a whole lot, but, but I, I got to keep moving because I don't want us to dwell today on the mistakes of men and women. I want us to dwell today on the superabounding grace of God in the midst of the mistakes that they made. Verse 4, the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. For God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband with her and he ate. So Adam was there, but he was silent. Adam was there, but he was passive. Adam was there, but he did not lead his family in that moment. Nothing happened when she ate from the tree because she was not the head of the family. They were created equally. They both had dominion, but Adam came forth first to establish order in the home. The Bible says, for as by one man, sin entered into the world. Adam came first, then came Eve. And before Eve came, God gave Adam the word of God. And God said to Adam, you are free to eat from every tree that's in this garden. But do not eat from this tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Satan comes, and rather than coming to Adam, he disrespects order, goes to Eve, and he begins to talk about what they can't do as opposed to all that they can do. Eve buys it, and then she eats of the fruit. Nothing happens. But when Adam eats of the fruit, mistake, because God is going to say later, you shouldn't listen to your wife about this. Now, brothers, don't go home and say to your wife, uh, Pastor said, uh, I'm not supposed to listen to you. <laughs> Again, there are a lot of rabbit. We, we could chase a lot, but I got to stay on 
point. <laughs> so the Bible says in verse 7, after they had eaten, <clears throat> then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. They fell. They feel guilt and shame now. And this is man's first attempt at religion. When they make fig leaves to cover their nakedness, their shame and their guilt, they do something with their hands. They try to make something work to deal with their guilt and their shame. It didn't work with each other. And it surely isn't going to work with them and God because although they covered their private parts, they still hid from God, which meant that the religion did not deal with their sin, their shame, and their guilt. They tried, but it did not work. Adam and Eve are in trouble. They've turned to religion. Do-it-yourself-ism. And I just wondered today, is this where someone is today? You've messed up. And you're trying to do religious things. Like maybe even coming to church. Trying to read your Bible or give some money. Help someone out. Stop cursing. Whatever it may be, you're trying to do something. So that you can earn favor from God. Let me just help you out and just say, there's nothing you can do to earn favor and goodness and grace from God. Grace is something that God freely gives. When your sin shows up and abounds, grace superabounds over your sin because we don't deserve grace. We need it, but we don't deserve it. And he gives it to us freely, and all we can do is receive it. And look more to the one who provides the grace as opposed to being the ones who try to make it happen on our own. We're not God. We're not good. We need to look to God because he is good and he is gracious. So let me bless you with something real quick. God has many names in the Bible, many names. And each of these names describe a different aspect of his character and his nature. He's so large that even when we read the book of Revelation, that there's a name that he has that no one knows but he himself. And he just, he's just too much. So the few names we know, omnipotent, almighty, else should die. All of these great names, they, they give us a glimpse of his power, his glory, his nature. And one of them I want to drop on you as I go into this section is found in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 10 where Peter's trying to encourage a group of persecuted Christians because Satan is devouring Christians. Christians are dying for their faith. They are being martyred in the first century. And Peter tells that group, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, like a roaring lion, walks around seeking whom he may devour. But Peter says, resist him, standing firm in the faith. You see, Satan was present in the garden. And he operates in the earth today. And so how do we deal with this old serpent? How do we deal with him? Peter said, stand firm in the faith. 
then he goes on to say in 1 Peter 5.10, and the God of all grace shall strengthen you and, and settle you. The God of all grace. I'm so glad today that he's the God of all grace because I make a whole lot of mess and I need grace and I'm so glad I have grace and that he's the God of all grace. The first thing I want you to see about the God of all grace now is we're not going to focus on their mistakes any more than I want you to focus on your mistakes. Yes, we make them. We own up to the sins and the errors and the mistakes that we make. But don't you focus primarily or exclusively on the mistakes you make. Focus on the grace that God provides. Because when we learn that truth, we get set free. And again, on your best day and in your best moment, you still fall short. Just like you do on your worst day and in your worst moment, you still fall short. Thank God that grace super abounds over my junk. Now, if you don't get a breakthrough, I'm preaching for my own. You don't have to join me. I, I hope you do. But I'm tired of being ruled by religion. I'm tired of being concerned about what you think. When you're free based on how he thinks of you and what he's done for you, it doesn't matter what other people say. Doesn't matter what you look like. Doesn't matter. Because I matter in the mind of the one that matters most. And he loves me. And he's rejoicing over me with singing. You may curse me, but he's singing. <laughs> ah. So the first thing I want you to see is that the God of all grace, let them live. He let them live. Because he told them, the day you eat from this tree, you will surely die. Now, we know that Adam and Eve died spiritually on the spot. That's why they're hiding from God. Now, Adam would die some 930 years later, physically. So, physical death came from sin. Now, here's how God is gracious. Adam didn't know that he would live 930 years. God could have said, okay, you sinned today in the garden, you die today in the garden. Not just spiritually, but you die physically today in the garden, and I'm going to start over again. But grace does not kill you when you could be killed. <laughs> I know you're tripping. Like, Pastor, what you talking about? Again, God is holy. He's just. He's also patient, slow to anger, abounding in mercy. But watch this, though. He's not to be played with. He's not to be played with. That's why you got to know his nature. You got to know he's holy. Yes, he's gracious. He's holy, too. Because there was a dude named Uzzah who committed a sin one day. And he was sincere. When he put his hand on the Ark of the Covenant that represented the presence of God amongst the people because David put the Ark on a cart because he learned it from the Philistines rather than reading from the Pentateuch how to transport the Ark with the priests carrying it on poles. He did what the world did. 
the oxen stumbled, the ark was starting to tilt. Uzzah touched the ark to hold it up. And the Bible says he died on the spot. Ananias and Sapphira. Because somebody said, that's Old Testament. Okay, let's come to the New. They lied about their offering. None of y'all lied about your offering today, I hope. They lied about their offering. They didn't have to lie. But religion, they're trying to make themselves look better than what they really are. And uh, the wife lied to Peter. And, uh, and Peter was like, is this what you gave? And she was like, yeah, that's what we gave. Drop dead, boom. Then they called the husband. I, I, I may have the order mixed up, but they both got dealt with. And the Bible says, the people that carried your spouse away dead, they're now going to carry your body away. Boom, drop dead. The Bible says there is a sin unto death. We don't know what it is. I, I don't know. I don't want to find out. The Bible says the fear of the Lord will keep you from sinning. The fact that we're all here today is the fact that God is gracious. Because you and I have done some stuff willingly, unwillingly, knowingly, unknowingly, intentional, unintentional, that was sin. And God did not strike you dead when you were doing that. He could, but he didn't because he's gracious and he lets you live. I saw a statistic that said with evangelical men or Christian men, over 80% of Christian men will view porn within the next 30 days. We've been there, men. What if God would have chosen to kill us while we're sitting at the computer looking at stuff we shouldn't be looking at? And we drop dead. And the people who find us have to come into the room and find us with that junk on the computer. He lets you live. Or when you talk back to your husband or your wife, you sin, he let you live. With all the dirt that I've done, he let me live. The dirt that I fought, he let me live. So that's number one. But number two, I'm going to give you more. The God of all grace came to them after they had fallen. Verse 8, are you with me? And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his, and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. So God is coming to be with them. And he knows that they've just sinned. But yet he's still coming to them. We sin. We fall short. We make mistakes. But he never leaves us. And he will not forsake us. We are his children, his sons and his daughters. If we go to our kids when they've fallen, and we should, how much more does God come to us when we've fallen? And some of us be like, I'm tired. of. They don't want to see me right now because if they see me right now, I ain't going to pick them up again. No. So we had those moments of carnality. And, and you know, and, and sometimes we've got to discipline our kids. Again, won't chase that. But here's what I want you to see. No matter what you've done, you can't escape his presence. David said in the Psalms, if I take the wings of heaven and go up to heaven, you're with me. Yeah, I'm on a mountaintop with God. 
But if I fall and descend into the uttermost parts of hell, you're with me there. He comes to you. As a matter of fact, through the presence of the Spirit, he never leaves us. We grieve him, but he doesn't leave us. I'm just here to let you know that's good news. When, when Peter had sinned by denying the Lord, he said, no, I ain't going to do it. Jesus said, you're going to do it three times. No, I'm not. Did it three times. He was so discouraged. The Bible says he wept. He ran. He was so hurt that he failed Jesus. Anybody been there? I did it again. I said I wasn't going to do it, but I did it. Oh, and so like Peter, we get discouraged and say, you know what? I'm going fishing. I'm going back to doing what I know I can do and what I used to do. I'm giving up on this faith thing. I'm going fishing. And who came to him while he was out there fishing and said, friends, do you have any fish? He came to them. He comes to you. That's grace. <laughs> Thirdly, the God of all grace spoke to them. In verses 9 through 11, God called to Adam and said to Adam, where are you? I love this because he still remembered Adam's name and called him by his name. He remembers your name. Matter of fact, the prophet said that God has inscribed your name on the palms of his hands. A mother may forget her children. And wow, that, that's heavy if a mom forgets her child. And God says, she may do that, but I'll never do that. I'll never forget you because I've inscribed you on the palms of my hand. I've tattooed your name. And we know also that's a type of the nail-scarred hands of Jesus. I know your name, Chris, even when you act like you don't know mine. Even when you take mine in vain, I'm still calling you by your name. I'm not calling you a slave. You're still my son. You're still my daughter. I'm not calling you condemned. You've been justified. You will never come under condemnation with me. He still knows your name, no matter what you've done. And when he's conversing with you, he'll ask you questions. He knows the answers. But he's asking the questions, where are you? So that he can invite conversation, dialogue, and intimacy. Chris, what's going on in your life? He already knows. There's nothing I'm going to tell him that's going to fill him in or, or give him new information. But he's asking the question so that I can see where I am. Where are you, Chris? I'm over here again. I did it again. I thought it again. <sighs> he asked Eve, what is it that you've done? Now, here's the deal. Here, here's more grace. Not only does he call you by name and ask questions to invite conversation. He had grace when they talked to him foolishly. What do you mean, Pastor? Adam said to God, the woman you gave me caused me to do this. It's her fault and it's your fault. Now again, that's a big mistake. You play the blame game. Wink Martindale and the blame game. Come on down. Dun, 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 dun. Our two contestants on the blame game are Chris and Darina Williamson. Well, if you hadn't, well, if you hadn't got that from Adam, Eve. 
I don't act like y'all don't play the blame game. Y'all, y'all, y'all play it. Some of y'all have won a whole lot of prizes and stuff. From You've won the blame game every time you play it. You are good at pointing fingers. You're horrible at pointing a thumb. And they talk foolish. When, when he said, the woman you gave me, that's back talk. Because he wasn't talking like that in chapter 2. <laughs> this is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. <laughs> Soon as something goes wrong, it's your fault. You ever done that before? You ever blamed God for something that wasn't his fault? And you don't want to see what you did to create the mess? That's foolishness. And he lets us spout foolishness. In chapter 4, Cain is going to talk real crazy to God. After he kills his brother Abel, God comes again asking questions to invite intimacy and conversation and fellowship. Cain has the nerve to say to God, am I my brother's keeper? Think about your mother and your father. If they ask you, where is your sister, where's your brother? And you turn around and say to your mother, am I my brother's keeper? You would get the taste smacked out of your mouth. Because you're being disrespectful. God is so gracious, he let us trip on him. Now, don't stay like that, though. Because shall the clay question the potter? How have you made me? Why do you make me like this? Again, be careful. Now, don't, don't, don't. But he lets you. And he let them. That's grace, y'all. That's grace. And then another act of grace is that the God of all grace cursed the serpent. So the Lord God said to the serpent, and he begins to say, because you've done this, and you're going to crawl on the ground, you're going to eat dust. And speaking of maybe the thing had legs, and the legs were taken. So the gracious God confronts the serpent, the deceiver, the bully, the dragon. He stands up for them. The Bible says in verse 15, there's a big one here. The God of all grace prophesied a coming deliverer. If we don't have verse 15, we don't have anything. Now, before I read verse 15, you got to know that verse 15 is called the gospel in the Old Testament. The Proto-Evangelium. Listen, you don't get John 3.16 without Genesis 3.15. So the ultimate act of superabounding grace is God offering his son who offers his life for our sins. Here's verse 15. God said to the serpent, and I will put enmity. That speaks of hostility, war. Between you and the woman. Okay, you came to this woman. Okay, we're going to deal with that. We're going to play on that. And I'm going to put hostility between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Pastor, how is this the gospel? Let's think about this first. Women don't have seeds. Women have eggs. Men have seeds. And through the sexual act, men can fertilize the egg to produce a child. 
But when he says her seed, this is speaking of something supernatural. And then in my Bible, the New King James, seed is capitalized, capital S. So this is not speaking of an inanimate object. This is speaking of a person, the seed. This is another designation for the Savior, the Messiah, the Deliverer. Because Adam and Eve needed a Savior. They needed a Deliverer. And God says, I'm going to send a deliverer who will come through a woman without the aid of a man. And he's going to do battle with the seed of Satan, the demonic realm, and everything that comes with Satan, sin and death. And in the midst of this battle, the serpent will bruise the heel of the seed, meaning Jesus will suffer while saving us from sin. He will suffer physically in his body. But in saving us from our sin, he ends up rendering a death blow to the head of the serpent. And the Bible says that on the cross, Colossians, that Christ triumphed and disarmed all principalities, powers, rulers, and dominions. So through the cross, Jesus dealt a head blow, a death blow, a crucial blow to the head of the serpent, which is why the devil doesn't like us preaching about the cross and the blood of Jesus because it gives him a headache. <laughs> he don't mind you preaching prosperity and all that. You start talking about the cross because it's a reminder to him of the victory that was won for us and the defeat that was registered to him. So there's a prophecy. God says, I'm prophesying. I'm prophesying hope for you. Now, the people in the Old Testament, they were saved from their sin, from Satan, from death, by putting faith in the seed. They didn't know when the seed was coming, but they looked forward to the seed to be their deliverer. And he had other names in the Bible, but mainly the seed is Messiah. We are saved by looking back to the seed that came, was born, died, and resurrected. They were saved in the Old Testament looking forward to the seed to come. We're saved in the New Covenant looking back to the seed who came, and all of us are looking for the seed, the Savior, to come again. So they're saved just like we are by grace through faith in the Son, in the seed, in the Savior. And he came and he did battle in a way that Adam nor us could do with Satan and win. Oh. Now, Revelation 13, 8. Now, now here, here, here's some good stuff here. I need to let you know something. The God you serve knows everything before it happens. He's omniscient. He knows all things. He does not react to things in time and space the way you and I do. Something happens, we react. So when you see God promising or prophesying a Messiah, he did not do that as an afterthought after Adam and Eve sinned. He had already predetermined he was going to send his son as the seed and savior before Adam and Eve were ever created or had ever sinned. Because God doesn't react, he predetermines. 
Everything that is going to happen in time has already happened in the mind of God. So he won't be surprised by anything. So now watch this. Before Adam and Eve sinned, God had their solution. What do you mean, Pastor? Revelation 13, 8. The Bible says that the Lamb of God was slain before the foundation of the world. Come on. Here's grace. The Lamb was slain. It was determined that Christ would die before the world was formed and before he formed Adam and Eve and before Satan came in that garden and tempted them and they sinned. It was already determined that Christ would die. He already paid the price. It just hadn't happened in time and space yet. So this means to me that no matter what problem I go through, God already has the answer and the solution before I go through it. Because if he gave me Jesus to deal with my greatest problem, and he gave me Jesus before I even knew who Jesus was, before man was ever formed and sinned, if God had the answer and the solution before any of that, does he not have the solution that I need for what I'm going through now? That's grace. He already knows. Trust him. If he had Jesus, matter of fact, the Bible says in Ephesians, I was chosen in him from before the foundation of the world. And he could choose me in him before the foundation of the world because the lamb was slain before the foundation of the world. He could choose me because the lamb was slain before men sinned because he does not react. He predetermines. He has every solution before you have a problem. He knows what you have need of before you ask. Remember feeding the 5,000? Jesus says to them, how are we going to feed all these people? They were like, I don't know. I don't know. John chapter 6, the Bible says Jesus knew what he was going to do before he asked them, what do you want to do? Grace, that's grace. And grace had the solution before their problem. And God prophesied Christ before he even dealt with the consequences of their sin. So he's going to go down and he's going to deal with Adam. He's going to deal with Eve. There are going to be complications added to childbirth. And Adam is going to have to sweat, you know, to, to, to get fruit out of the land. And the ground is cursed. Creation is more. He, he's going to go through all of that. But before he goes through all of that, he prophesies his son to come. So what does a troubled married couple need today more than anything? They need what Adam and Eve needed. They needed a savior. A three-strung cord is not easily broken. Chris and Darina need Jesus. We don't need to focus on what we did wrong. We need to both repent and humble ourselves and come to Christ. Because you can go nitpick through all the stuff that the other person did wrong, and you're further apart than you were when the infraction started. But if somebody can just say, I'm the chief of sinners. I messed up, baby. I'm sorry. What happens? He gives grace to the humble, but the proud he knows from afar. So you can limit your experience with grace because of your pride. But I got to go. I got I, I to move to these last two points. The God of all grace clothed them, strong tower. Remember, they put the fig leaves on. God says, I'm going to clothe you. And the Bible says in verse 21 that God made tunics of skin for them. He tailor-made a suit for them. 
Get rid of those fig trees. That stuff don't work. And you're also stupid. You probably grab poison ivy anyway. Get, get rid of that stuff. <laughs> and in order to clothe them with an animal skin, that meant an animal died. That also meant that blood was shed. So this is a type, a picture, a setup of the Old Testament sacrificial system where God allowed the blood of bulls and goats and lambs to cover the sins of the people until the seed, the lamb, would come to take those sins away. So God says, I'm going to clothe you. Grace clothes us. Get, put your works down, buddy. Stop, stop trying to read the Bible to impress me. Uh, uh, get up off your knees and put a hole in your pantyhose. I'm not impressed by that. Come on now. Stop trying to. Come on. Receive my righteousness clothed upon you, the righteousness of Jesus by faith. Reckon it to be so. You've been clothed. Depend on the righteousness of Jesus, not your righteousness. Put the religion down. Yeah, go to church, but don't go to church to try to be right with me. Come on. Trust my righteousness. And then finally, the God of all grace sent them out of the Garden of Eden in verses 22 through 24. Why did he send them out? That seems harsh. Well, God says, I, I got to send them out because if they eat from the tree of life, because they ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and they've fallen. If they eat from the tree of life, they're going to live forever in a perpetual state of brokenness. You don't want to live like that, Adam, where you're human, but you can't die, but your sin hasn't been dealt with. So I got to put you out of the garden to keep you away from that tree to protect you. And grace is when God will relocate you and move you somewhere else. When at first you don't get it, you may not like it. But he's trying to protect you and set you up for something better. Like when God brought us to Nashville, Tennessee. I didn't get it. I didn't understand it. But he brought us out of Virginia to bring us here. But in the relocation, I didn't understand it. It seemed harsh, especially when we got here and I lost my record contract. But in time, grace and as Larry said a couple weeks ago, the Holy Spirit started working behind the scenes. And then I thank God for what I lost in Virginia because I gained so much more here in Tennessee that has been exceeding abundantly above anything I could ever ask or imagine. But going through it, it hurt. He's relocated you from city to job, even in some relationships. It's grace. Let him relocate you, though. Don't you start running and then try to put his name on it. We need discernment. Adam and Eve messed up, but Genesis 3 talks more about how grace showed up. They messed up, but grace showed up over. And I invite you to dig into the text and see more examples of grace. And don't just focus on the fall and on the devil. Focus on how the God of all grace showed up. Because as he showed up for them, Stop dwelling on. Yes, acknowledge it. Take responsibility. Stop dwelling on it. 
Because if you dwell on how you messed up, you're going to try to fix it in your own strength. And you're going to waste a lot of time. Repent and receive his grace. Enjoy his grace. Pass his grace on. Talk less about the mistakes you've made and talk more about the grace God has displayed. Superbounding grace. Over a month ago, maybe two months now, Duke men's basketball team was set to play the United the uh, University of North Carolina Tar Heels. <laughs> and this would be the first time that Zion Williamson, uh, no relation to me, but could be related, I don't know. We'll see after the brother signs his contract if we are uh, connected. Uh, but everybody's excited to see Zion play against North Carolina in Duke. People are so excited that even former President Barack Obama comes and sits courtside. Tickets are in the thousands to get into the gym to watch these athletes of superior ability play, but they're not getting any of that money in their pocket, but that's a whole other situation. They want to see Zion. A couple of seconds into the game, y'all know what happened. Zion made a cut and his Nike shoe exploded. Boof. His foot came out of the shoe, and he ended up twisting his knee. And he sat out for a couple of weeks. And people wondering, is he going to come back? Is he just going to turn pro? But just recently, he decided to come back. And when he came back, he played in two games, and I watched uh, two of them with my son, those games, and he was explosive. I mean, this boy is bad. And just yesterday, when he was playing, the cameraman talked about the first shoe exploding. But then they zeroed in on the new shoe. And this shoe is a reconstructed, super-made shoe by Nike. Nike was like, we can't have that happen again. <laughs> so they rebuilt a shoe. And they zoomed in on the shoe, and they kept talking about the new shoe. I want to leave you with this. Yeah, you've sinned, I've sinned. We've made mistakes. There's been an explosion. We made a cut and we got hurt. Yeah. But grace comes along. And God says, I'm going to give you something new. And I want you to zoom in and focus on the grace <laughs> more than you spend time talking about the explosion that caused the need for grace. Zoom in on grace, Strong Tower, and enjoy what God has for you. Let's stand. Let's stand for prayer. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, thank you. You're better to us than we have sense enough to be to ourselves. God, we're so glad that your goodness to us is not based upon our goodness or lack thereof to you. You're the God of all grace. You abound in grace. Help us to learn from the mistakes we've made. Help us to turn 
Let us let grace teach us a lesson. And with your help, we can avoid those pitfalls. We can grow in grace. Lord, I'm so glad that we're just going to take our time with this series. Because we're going to brag on you for this whole series about how gracious you were to Adam and Eve, how gracious you were to David, to Moses, to Rahab, to Peter, to Paul, to Joshua the high priest, on and on and on, how gracious you are. I pray for the person today, Lord, who needed this message, that the enemy would not be able to steal the seed from his or her heart. Oh, Lord, I pray that it went down deep and it can begin a transformation in how they walk their Christian life with you. I know you're doing that with me. Now, Lord, as we leave this place, but never from your presence, may we please you based on the fact that you're pleased with us. You're pleased with us. We're your children, and you love us so much. Let us live out of that motivation than anything that is religiously based. Because we pray now unto him who's able to do exceedingly and abundantly above all that we could ever ask or imagine. That's according to the power that's working within us. To him be the glory, the majesty, the dominion, and the power, both now and forevermore. And all of God's people said, Amen, amen, amen. Have a blessed day. Hug a few folks before you leave. Amen.